Hey folks, Nick Jenkins here, and I wanted to let you know that the podcast Watch the Theron, another podcast on the Cage Club Podcast Network, where Joey Lewandowski and Mike Manzi talk about all of Charlize Theron's work, is going to be doing their episode on Prometheus this week. So if you want to hear their take on this flick after you hear ours, it comes out on Friday the 27th, so you should probably do that. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Real Bad, the podcast where we talk about real bad movies and why they want to sometimes hurt us. I'm your host, Nick Jenkins, and today I'm joined by three friends and colleagues and and all of the above. Uh, First, Tobin Addington. Welcome back, sir. Cup of tea, mom. (laughs) What's that from? It's from this movie. movie. Is it? David David says, okay. Yes. All right. (laughs) Sorry. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) You confused me. I was trying to shake things up a little bit. That's fair. That's fair. Tuna, what's your line from... Prometheus. The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. I mean, that's from Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Yeah, but no, it's, yeah, no, that but it is in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Very good. And finally, Matthew Gatos. There's nothing. <laughs> What's mine going to be then? Yeah, I was going to say, Nick Jenkins, we what were, is your line? <laughs> we were wrong. We were so wrong. <laughs> Tonight we were talking about the 2012 film Prometheus. Uh, a film that has divided us in a way I didn't think it was going to do. I thought that this movie was clearly a train wreck. Um, and I have learned that two of us don't feel that way. And I think two of us do, but I'm not sure. We'll find out. I, for one, think it's a, a gigantic misfire. But I may be proven wrong by the end of this. So this is Ridley Scott's return, kind of, to the alien universe. It is a sort of prequel to uh, the original Alien and Aliens, because those both fit together relatively well. It uses tropes from both Alien and Aliens, tropes that both of those films kind of designed um, Mm -hmm. and developed. And uh, yeah, so before we go too far, though, we need to do a plot dump. 60 seconds. Tuna, (laughs) I'm going to have you... Do this plot dump, and then we're going to be asking some specific questions. Ooh, okay, uh, but uh, like a hell of a plot dump to try and tackle. <laughs> well, well I don't mean, it's, it's, don't psych him out. I'm no, just no, no. saying. I'm, well, this is the thing: is I don't feel like it. I think okay. the plot is like relatively the, the skeleton of it, yeah. but the story I think is where it gets complex. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. Sixty second plot dump for Prometheus in uh-huh. three, two, one. All right, Prometheus opens with the exact same opening shot from 2001, A Space Odyssey. And uh, we see a creation myth wherein a big, bald, uh, pretty phallic-looking dude drinks a black liquid and his DNA seeds life. This fades into the interior shot of a cave where one of our main characters breaks through and... Shaw and Holloway are their names. They're two archaeologists. They're working in, was it Scotland? Yep. Uh, And they have found a star map. Uh, Then you go forward in time. Yeah, fuck, I fucked it up already. I looked at the timer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know which way it's going, though. Um, A robot wakes the crew on a ship because they have arrived at their destination. There's some character building stuff that goes on. Uh, they land and decide to explore immediately instead of waiting till the morning. Uh, they find one of those bald dudes from the beginning, headless, 
And uh, oh, no, but, you're out of time. I know. <laughs> I told you. I it's a lot. <laughs> I got stuck on the beginning because I yeah. wrote down like super simple notes, and I'm like, oh, but I didn't rehearse what yeah. it was going to say in my head. You started making references to <laughs> yeah. other movies in your plot. Stuff. I was like, this is not going to happen. Yeah. This is so not I get a second go chance? Well. Off the rails. I feel like if I cut that out, I could. <laughs> oh, no. There are no second chances <laughs> oh, in our 60 second plot. All right. Let's finish it up real quickly, though. So they, they go looking for the uh, origin of life. Or their creators. Based on cave paintings they found. Yes. Uh, all over the world, these cave paintings of humans looking at taller beings who are pointing to the sky. Yeah, and they found basically a map. Uh, Shaw, played by Numi Rapace, uh, Nomi Rapace, actually, um, is the head scientist. And they go and they find a structure on this planet and they go to investigate it in all of the dumbest ways possible. Mm-hmm. And some editorializing happening yes. here. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's where I got stuck, Nick. Was the editorial? Yes. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty obviously dumb. Um, but I'll stop editorializing. <laughs> they uh, they find this goo. The goo infects people. Actually, David the robot infects people on purpose. And then stuff explodes out of them. And then they meet the engineers who hate them for some reason. And like it's really visceral. Like you see that the look in the engineer's eyes. He's angry. Mm-hmm. He is angry at these people. Uh, ship tries to take off. It kills everybody. They crash Prometheus the ship into the other ship to keep him from going back to Earth. And um, the only people left are Nomi Rapace and the head of David. Um, I guess she gets his body too. And uh, they fly off with a narration saying they're going to go find out why everybody hates humans. There you go. Sound reasonable. And then, and then a little guy squirts out of a big guy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> a little guy squirts out of a big guy. Yeah, and he's got end. a dunce cap and an overbite. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Man, I have no concept of when a minute is, I guess. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tell you you were like halfway yeah. through and you were still in Scotland. Yeah. That's, that's when I looked up and I yeah. see like 27 and I'm like, I don't know what direction that's coming from. <laughs> either way, it's But bad. I don't like it either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're like four years behind the plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. this is interesting to me because I think we have different experiences with uh, this film and with a- the alien mythology in general. I'll start. Alien and Aliens are two of my favorite films. I love both of those films dearly, um, but I enjoy for different reasons Alien 3. Alien Resurrection is just hard to watch. I think it's an ugly film uh, and it, it's a disturbing film as well. And it's not a great it's not a great film. Um, I kind of enjoy the alien versus predator movies because they're just big, dumb alien versus predator movies. Uh, and then I was excited about Prometheus when I first saw the trailer. I also think it's one of the best trailers, one of the best cut trailers in terms of just like getting you amped up to see a film. Uh, it's got that, uh, the sonar sound for the cuts, which and it just sounds really cool. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I, I saw it and I have much disappointment, but we'll talk about that. Um, and this is actually probably the third time I've seen it. You saw it in theaters? I don't think so. I think okay. I saw, I think I saw it immediately when it came to Blu-ray. So I don't only like a little bit of an effective trailer. Well, I, I, this is a personal thing. I don't like seeing horror movies in a theater. Gotcha. I, I like I need to have a little more control over mm-hmm. my surroundings, I, I buy that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially with as, as our local theater has some really 
ineptitude, has some real ineptitude with the sound system. Jump scares in particular. I just like when Tobin and I saw Blade Runner, the sound, it was so loud. The, the projector was shaking yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't need that in a jump scare. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I just, if it's a horror movie, I don't go to the theater to see it, but I did as soon as it came to Blu-ray, I rented it cause I was very excited about it. Um, Tobin, I feel like you're going to be similar, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't watch the Alien or Aliens movies until I was I, I, in high school or college. It was a long, but I just, oh, wow. but I, okay. so I didn't, I didn't grow up, grow up with them. Although I, and I enjoy them a lot. And I, but I had the same experience of Prometheus that you did. I was very excited for it. I did see it in the theater. I've watched it three times plus other tries because I keep wanting this movie to be as great as I think it could have been. Uh, and every time it starts out and I'm with it and then I just... I wilt as it goes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, so in, in some ways we have the same, same experience of this movie. Every time I watch it, I put it in and the opening shots start and I'm like, maybe I got this movie wrong. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> like, so, uh, maybe yeah. it's me, maybe it's me. And then it goes, mm-hmm. no, it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tuna, what's your experience with the overall alien verse? I mean, I th- like, I've only seen aliens and alien and I saw them once when I was a kid, I want to say like 10 or 12 years old, and it was one of those where like I was at home sick mm. from school and they were on and I watched them and enjoyed them. And I think there was like, it was one of those things where they had like the documentary going simultaneously. So instead of commercial breaks, it was like, oh, mm. here's behind the scenes mm. stuff. And they showed like, I think oh. maybe one of them was about, like a sequel was about to come out or something. That's a great way to experience a film, I think. On yeah. well, and it was <laughs> if it was on TV, it was probably cut down and edited in many ways. Oh, that's uh, probably sure, true. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know what I saw it on. I mean, right. it may have been like some cable station that right. wasn't, because I don't remember there being commercial breaks in it. Oh, it was just, like just documentary the breaks. breaks. So it was like, huh. but again, this was so long ago. This is, yeah, this is, you know, a long time yeah, ago. 20 years 20, ago. 20 plus years ago. Yeah. So I have not seen them since. And for Prometheus, uh, it wasn't even on my radar, but this was like the tail end of my time in film school. So I had a bunch of friends who were like, oh, let's go see it. And I saw it and I was like, huh, I don't know how to feel about that. So then I saw, then I had a separate group of friends who were who didn't get to go to the first one and they were like, "Well, let's go see it in 3D." Mm. So I went to go see it in 3D and I was like, "Hmm. <laughs> I still can't quite figure out how I feel about this." Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Matt, uh my experience with the Alien verse is that I saw I've seen Alien a couple times. I probably watched the first time in college. Um it never really hooked me in any way back then so i haven't really revisited it like it throughout the years i think i can't even be positive i think i've seen aliens but if i did it was once along like around the same time in college so really no knowledge of this universe um so going into like prometheus coming out in theaters I saw the trailer. I thought it was an amazing trailer for a movie that I had zero interest in seeing (laughs) because I didn't care at all about aliens, let alone the prequels to those movies. Right. and then I started to hear bad things and rumblings on the internet about like what it was. And so I was like, oh, well now I definitely don't want to see it because <laughs> wasn't interested and it's bad. Why will I ever see this movie? Right. So I was when it was on this list for this podcast, I was like, yeah, that sounds like it makes sense to me. I'll watch it, not knowing anything about aliens. Uh, and then 
watched it last night for the first time and was thoroughly enthralled the entire time. And I don't have any philosophy backup for it, <laughs> but I just liked the movie. No, this is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I love this from different perspectives. So here's the one thing. And I said this in our group text um, was I don't think on this show we'll ever have a more highly produced, well-made movie. Like this is a gorgeous, mm-hmm. gorgeous film. Oh, yeah. Darius Walski knocked it out yeah, of the park. Like it is a beautifully made as I will, I, I will say, and maybe I'll be talked out of, I think this is a beautifully made misfire. That is my, mm-hmm. that is my thing. Um, I, in rewatching it, not only did I have that thought of, did I get this wrong? But even when I was, even when my brain was complaining about things, I was still like, yeah, but look at that shot. <laughs> look at those costumes. Look at the sets. Just, just. It it is the best things. I think this film is a great example of the best things about Ridley Scott and the worst things about Ridley Scott. Mm. Um, And I I think that goes back way back into his career because I feel the same way about the original Blade Runner. I don't really like that movie, but when it's on, I can't look away from it. I I think it's a gorgeous film. That's very similar to how I feel about Blade Runner as well. I don't Mm -hmm. like enjoy that movie a lot, but watching it on mute I'd be very happy yeah like, uh, see I'm totally the opposite where like I really like Blade Runner and so if it's just on I can't watch it because I feel like I have to sit down and, and watch give the beginning. it attention mm-hmm. to the, uh-huh. yeah. uh, just for some fun trivia fact I felt because we were talking about the way this movie looked and the production value and all that stuff and how beautiful it is and I so I looked at the budget it's like 120 to 130 million. Yeah, the last 10 million, the the last 10 million was all in the 3D con, the 3D cameras gotcha. and equipment they had to use. And I mean, not that money makes a beautiful movie because there are plenty of beautiful like indie films that cost a couple million dollars, but the fact that Justice League cost 300 million dollars <laughs> and looks like absolute garbage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, like, it looks like absolute yeah. garbage. This does not. This looks like a hundred and thirty million dollars should look exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yep. If yep. I'm if I'm going to buy a ticket for a hundred and thirty million dollars, yep. this is what I walk out <laughs> of and go. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. this is what I want to walk out of is something that looks this good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Justice League. Holy crap! Yeah. It looks. I mean, it looked like I could do better green screening and After Effects. <laughs> Here like, if, it if you're gonna make a bad afternoon. movie, at least get that. Like at least make it pretty. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is kind of your argument for this for Prometheus. Yeah. <laughs> In, in some respects. Um, when I initially put this out there, though, uh, I want to start with Tobin. And we'll come around to me at the end because maybe I'll be have my mind changed. I don't know. But I want to start with Tobin. You said you have many things to say. Yes, I do. So I would like to know where you would like to start. Oh, man. Well, uh, just, um, maybe just start by the things I liked about it because this is your... your um, you're, I think you're right. There are moments and scenes in this movie that work beautifully there are things that happen in this movie like the the self-surgery oh um, my god yeah Um, there's a self-surgery scene in this film that regardless of what film it would ever be in is one of the most potent things i have Uh, ever seen it's like it had me like literally like edge of my seat uh, (laughs) on my couch at (laughs) home just like leaning forward and then like my girlfriend walks in while i'm watching it You don't necessarily want to watch the TV right now because you're walking in, in like the most intense, gross section of the movie. But it is so effective. Yep. And yep. I totally agree that it, regardless of it being in an alien movie, in any movie, that scene is well performed, well shot, 
like well constructed the production design everything in that scene is beautiful yeah Yeah. and even the way it's paced yes it's it's so well paced with that with the computer saying anesthetizing now and you're just like hurry up oh my god (laughs) and it, it feels like other like a worse movie would have drawn that out even more and made it more torturous mm-hmm. but like I feel like they hit that perfect yeah, balance calibrated. in that yeah. scene of just enough to feel like torture to feel realistic mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yeah and that could have been the climax in a whole other movie you can make mm-hmm. another movie where that sequence mm-hmm. is the climax and I feel like that's one of the problems this movie has which is that all of these great moments don't feel like they gel into one story that I'm watching. It feels like they keep adding plots or revelations or and now you well, you were never pregnant, so now you're gonna be pregnant, but what's the alien babies? So we're gonna do a, a C section and this like it, it all becomes sort of a, a, it keeps layering on top of itself until it sort of for me begins to collapse under the weight of all these quote unquote ideas that it has. And I'm not I don't I don't I don't care about any of the people that I'm watching go through the experience. So I've I'm left just watching the pretty spectacle of it. Which which is amazing and beautifully edited and beautifully shot, as you, as you're saying. Um, but it's th- but there's nothing for me to. I'm not I'm not engaged on the ride because I'm not. I don't care about the people or, or what they're experiencing. And I and I feel like the the as my notes go down, I end up with um, pretentious pretentious windbaggery. It's kind <laughs> of my like that would be my pull quote for the for the review of this movie because by the end of it, I feel like I'm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm sort of over the, I'm sort of over it. Well, it's interesting because I kept having this thought, which was, it's not entirely true, but it's a similar thing that a lot of people complain about with 2001, a space odyssey is that there's no characters to get there. All the only character really in the movie is Hal mm-hmm. is a computer in 2001. Um, and he's a murderer. Which is very much like David mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. Like he's he is the, David is a compelling character. David, I wrote in my notes, is Hal nine thousand plus C three PO. Yeah, right. that's good. Like that's who he is. Um, but for some reason, two thousand one works, and it's because of underlying philosophy about that that is that is existing. So I'm wondering what's preventing because it's about that two thousand one has mm-hmm. an idea. That then it is sort of elaborating and um, pulling through the very so we are having to connect these three sections of the movie to this central underlying one idea that is thought through and very strong. This movie keeps inventing ideas until it feels like it doesn't know what it's about anymore. The there's a on on the Blu-ray DVD or the whatever DVD copy I have. There's a beautiful two-hour making of of this movie that I like better than this movie. And they and they and they spend a long time to talk to all both. Both screenwriters of the movie and all the sort of everybody, all the technical people through the movie, and to hear the discussion of the way the movie was crafted. And as as Ridley said, he says in the movie, I kept coming in and saying, I want these four things to happen. And so then they would have to go back and figure out how to make all that happen. Like you can see the movie fall under the weight of someone keep someone adding all these ideas not just him other people too adding you know adding ideas in a way that i feel like this movie might have been better served as a limited series if if this if this if you take this oh, kind of idea and stretch it i'm getting to my how to make yeah. it <laughs> but but i feel like they're, tra- they're trying to cram so many maybe very interesting ideas all into these two this two hours and it just it implodes on itself I can actually I can see that because I know there is a director's cut. I don't think that's the one we watched. He, is it? It was not released. Yeah. I think there was a the talk of 
I think oh, okay. Ridley Scott there was said in some interviews that he was that had like he wanted to make minutes. it. Okay, but I think they, they put it, all those scenes on yeah. the Blu-ray. Uh, okay, at least on the Blu-ray that Tobin has, the big four-disc one. I, I believe that's okay. what they decided to do instead of the director's cut is just put all the deleted stuff on there because he decided that the theatrical cut was better. I think what it sounded like to me, the behind the scenes <clears> mm-hmm. sounded like he tried to do a director's cut and couldn't make a better coherent version of the film than okay. was theatrically released. Okay. So he just let, went ahead with the theatrical one. Yeah. And to me, like, that I think is like one of the few things where I'm like, okay, like, I can see this working better that way is because uh, despite my plot dump, this mm-hmm. movie moves really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... There were a lot of times where I was like, no, I would almost like I want to breathe a little bit more with this and like keep on this. But I mean, I can I totally get keeping it quick as opposed to like letting it breathe. Like I understand why those decisions get made. But yeah, especially, in you know, especially 2012 cinemas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that Michael Bay can make a, a, you know, a three and a half hour Transformers <laughs> film that makes a billion dollars. And now so we so every movie can be three hours long. <laughs> I was uh, actually really, uh, I was ex- this, based on just the idea of this movie. I went, when I put it in my like Blu-ray player. I was expecting it to be two forty. Yeah, exactly. And so the yeah. fact that it was only two hours, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think it. I would have been okay with like a slightly longer version of this movie. It's, it's it's <laughs> it's weird because I feel like this movie has this movie is. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to explain this, but there is a short story or novella called At the Mountains of Madness. It's an H.P. Lovecraft story about a group of explorers who go to Antarctica um, and they find this civilization, this old dead civilization, and then something wakes up from this civilization. And it's beyond imagination and beyond all of the horrors they've ever seen. Um, and the narrator himself goes crazy uh, in trying to recount it. And so that's basically what this movie is. Um, and so much so, in fact, that Guillermo del Toro was going to make at the Mountains of Madness. Then Prometheus comes out and he goes, well, now there's not really a point because that is the mountain at the Mountains of Madness. Oh. I would love to see a Guillermo oh. del Toro at the Mountains <laughs> of Madness. Um, so that story in and of itself depends on a couple of things. And, and one of the, one of my first problems I have with this movie is, is a problem I have with a lot of movies, uh, especially now is these false starts. It has like two, two, yeah, it has two opening sequences basically that are unnecessary because they're, they're both, ex- well, one specifically is just explained through dialogue in an exposition scene where uh, uh, what is her name? Shaw. Shaw. Yeah. Shaw and Holloway are just up there talking about the things that we just saw. We don't need that scene of them in Scotland um, doing the thing because we're going to see it again. Then before that, we have the opening in Iceland, which is just God damn it. It's gorgeous. (laughs) So well shot. Inscrutable. Gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, and where you have one of the engineers uh, pop up and then they, you know, basically their DNA gets destroyed and they become life on Earth, whatever that is. It again, it sort of takes away from some of the mystery of what we're about to see or what we're about to experience. And a, a story like this for me depends on that. So if I know what I'm going to see in a horror movie like this, then I'm like, okay, well, when is it going to happen? 
when when is that going to come back in some way as opposed to what are they going to find mm-hmm. um and i mean there are some twists and turns on that like the, you know they find the goo and the you yeah know, stuff but like I, that. I think you're right that like you could cut off both of those opening scenes and the movie still tells the same story and if anything in a more effective way because you don't have this engineer with this corrupt dna or whatever lingering in the back of your mind mm-hmm. of like okay that's got to come up again right right whereas like if the engineers are just revealed when they open that helmet and see the human yes, shaped head yes. for the first time that's a way more like if oh yeah i if, even forgot about that yeah <laughs> that's, that's another great scene yeah yeah if we want to live like with these human characters and not feel like we're immediately supposed to be on like the side of the engineers why have that be your opening scene if it's not if it's not telling us anything very clearly about the plot of this movie why is it there and i think mm-hmm. the reveal of the human shapes being that the one the dead body they find the head they open up and see human shaped and then the like when they actually wake up the one engineer and we mm-hmm. see him standing there it's like oh this is what they looked like mm-hmm. but they all look totally different all and that to me do? is the key of why they are not like that opening scene is necessary like you see like the perfect promethean man he's wearing just like his little like diaper kind of thing yeah uh, he disrobes. He's got, he's got perfect, pristine skin, and then he drinks his goo and falls apart and is reconstituted his DNA. Um, and to me, that's important because that is like I know I tried to say it in my uh, <laughs> in my plot dump, but there's no hard cut into that next scene. Like these are the same scene that's fading to black, and then we find out that black is the inside of that cave. Like we just saw that cave painting, basically. And so that is like what, like that is like, oh, okay, there's these guys out here. But then once we see them, like one of them's got like weird growth on his head. Like he's decapitated. He is not what we were set up to find. And then when they find the third one, he's not like this beautiful, pristine guy. Like his head is still looking okay, but he's got like all this weird, like biomechanical shit. And it's not like separate from him. Like that is his skin. Yeah. This weird biomechanical suit. He's not this perfect being that just exists. This ideal man. What do we get then from that first scene? Like if if it's supposed to be that establishing what the pristine like godlike creatures are supposed to be, but we immediately see him die, then what are we striving for? And what are we like? Why is that the goal of who we're trying to find? For me, I think it's just because that sets him up like as the creator. Like it's yeah. not just that he dissolves; it's that like the black goo strips his DNA down and breaks it apart, and then it's reconstituted, and we see new cells forming. Like in the in the sequence, mm-hmm. the DNA turns black and falls apart, right. mm-hmm. and then comes back together mm-hmm. and loses that blackness. Like it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, two things. One, I could not tell a difference in any of these engineers. So I thought one was wearing a spacesuit. Oh yeah. No. If you look at his neck, it's just this like, uh, uh, what do you call it? I should know this because I work with them. Gradient. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, you've had no idea. Yeah, so, I, to be fair, I thought like there was different versions of suits essentially that these guys were wearing. Mm-hmm. Like, I the one who gets decapitated is obviously wearing some sort of suit that is like their travel gear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a more protective, like warrior type outfit. And then, yeah, the suit 
or his body or whatever it is that they they see when he comes out of the pod, I assumed was like similar to the humans in the movie. Like they have their big right. helmeted outfits mm-hmm. they go out into right. the environment in, but then when they're wa- walking on the ship, they have these like slim bodies, like right. zip up suits. And so that's kind of what I thought his jumpsuit, last thing yeah. was, was yeah. kind of just like his jumpsuit for sleeping. <laughs> but I think like that's, that's the space jockey uniform is his suit. Mm-hmm. Like the big elephant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. But I think that's yeah, yeah. for me. That's yeah, right. But, so, but I mean, I would, I would say go back and look for it. Like I wish I had taken like screenshots or something. Yeah. Like it's like, like once you begin really examining that, like it was like, oh no, like that's because what got me the way I noticed it was his neck looked like he had gills, mm. and it was like, wait, I don't, I don't get this. So then I started looking at him. And, yeah, and I love it because this, like, ties in. <laughs> so I guess in order to, like, say what I think that means and why that's important, I guess I want to ask you about – you talked about 2001 having its message. Its idea. Its idea. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, what would you say 2001's message or idea was? Oh, like, boy. <laughs> I mean, if you want to – I mean, is it – If you want to – Just, like, do... super redu- – just so I know I'm thinking in the uh-huh. same realm. I mean, I would say – Tobin, say, tell no, me if you disagree – because we worked on that script together. Yep. Not 2001, but our script on Crash <laughs> <Yeah>. Force. Um, <laughs> no, no, fact. Take credit, take credit. <laughs> yeah. I would say that that movie is about evolution, just about change and, and how, and you know, like what that has to do with humanity and where humanity came, came from and where it's going. Okay. And so. Does that seem fair? Yep. Okay. And so like, yeah, so I like what I get from Prometheus in that sense is not evolution, uh, but boiled down to again a single word existentialism where it's uh this this guy in the beginning like existentialism oh boy i get to use all this stuff that i learned this week (laughs) uh the idea behind existentialism is existence preceding essence Mm -hmm. which is that you can't like like the idea of something is something you put on it and it is not necessarily like it has to exist before it is something exist in a fuck i wish i see this is what i mean (laughs) but like i'm not a philosophy guy so it's hard there's a lot of different philosophies tackled throughout this movie too that like we don't the the movie has i think not necessarily and this could be a, a flaw of it the movie doesn't give you a central philosophy, I don't think. I think every character kind of has their own philosophy. And because we don't, you guys, especially Tobin and Nick, didn't identify with any main character, mm-hmm. you don't know what the point of view and which philosophy you're supposed to be viewing this. So you don't know when you're disappointed. You don't know when you're happy. You don't know like if this is just what you're supposed, supposed to expect. Because we have, uh, I think, a pretty telling conversation with uh, Holloway and David where Holloway is kind of upset that like they got to this place and yes, they have discovered new life on an alien planet, but it's dead. And so it's like this magnificent like discovery that is the biggest thing that's ever happened to humans, but he's disappointed he couldn't talk to them and find out answers. And so that clearly like lays out his philosophy of what he actually cares about. And so David comes and talks to him and David's talking to him about creators and basically like why does it matter is it irrelevant or like that and he talks about like why he was made and holloway says to him like we made you because we could and david takes a pause and goes like imagine how disappointing it would be for you to like hear that from your creator so that scene like especially when you talk about how that's holloway filtered through david like Mm -hmm. to me the point of view of the film 
is ex- existentialism through David. Like he is into the existentialism and like he is the one putting that. So yeah, you have Holloway there, but then, uh, oh shit, let me think about this. Cause now I'm all excited. My <laughs> thoughts are so everything's up. pinging around in your yeah. brain. Yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah, don't yeah. Wanna, like... I came in here thinking I was fully prepared and now everything's <laughs> like a one big mush. <laughs> well, I will, I mean, I will also say, and this is not to discredit what you are saying for me, this side of it has zero impact on my enjoyment of the film. I am not someone who, like, I wasn't thinking about any of this while watching the film. For me, this movie worked as a science fiction film. And Mm -hmm. the idea that these people all had their own philosophies and, like, what they wanted to get out of this mission, and they all failed, (laughs) uh, is intriguing to me. And that, yes, there are moments where I wish this person's philosophy could have caused more problems for this person's and like there would have been more butting of heads because in the end everyone at least got to kind of test their own philosophy and see where they ran up against a brick wall but I kind of I just enjoyed watching all of these people play out and kind of be disappointed by this adventure that they were going on okay here's my point (laughs) I need a window into this on some level. I need a protagonist. Now, one of the glorious things about 2001 is we are at the beginning presented with a very simple protagonist. Uh, the leader of the the ape people basically learns to use a tool to get back water supply. Great. Got it. Okay. Will that happen or not? I know what I know what the stakes are. The tribe is going to die. Like, I, I get it. Like, this makes sense. This movie, to me, is populated only with idiots and assholes. (laughs) And I don't like any of them. I don't care if they get what they want. I don't, I don't, I have no sense. I have no window. I'm not, I I don't care who's, I mean, it's obviously through Shaw's perspective. And I think that's why that opening sequence in Scotland is there. Maybe that's it. Because the first thing you see is her eye. Sure, sure. And that's very possible. And, 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 this begins to break things down for me. And I'm not a huge logic in film person. I'm, I'm, like it, you can have ludicrous things happen and I can have fun with that. Um, I love army of darkness and a bunch of <laughs> ludicrous things happen in that movie, but right. this movie's not set up that way. This movie is grounded. It feels very grounded. And like, I'm going to be watching real people do real things in this extraordinary environment. Mm-hmm. And yet at every turn, the movie itself, not just the characters, but the movie itself is making stupid decisions in decisions that I don't believe. Like not like they are specifically plot pointed decisions. And the biggest one to me is right at the beginning uh, when they introduce everyone. This is this is a big mission that they know about. They may be discovering alien life their creators they haven't told anyone okay okay we're briefing everybody now okay you seem to have gotten people who are not particularly qualified to do the jobs that they're going to do and what may be the most important mission humankind has ever sent out one of the cool things about the alien mythology, and I don't like to compare this to alien because that's kind of unfair, but like one of the cool things about the alien mythology is that everything's run by the company, which is Wayland yutani uh, 
and they are interested in money. That's what they're interested in. So, it would make sense if that were the case here. We're blinded by money. We're blinded by capitalism. We are going to go do this thing and, it, and, and fuck the rules. We're going to go get this thing. But instead, it, it seems like a scientific expedition. I disagree. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's blinded by one man's search for why his life matters. Yeah, but we don't get that till like an hour and a half into the movie. Like... That's not what the movie's about because we don't get there until way late. Well, no, but I think that's why the mission is being done the way it is being done is because the only result Wayland cares about is getting FaceTime with these aliens. Did that not mm-hmm. feel to you like it was added later on in the process? That feels like an addition. Like, um, See, it doesn't specifically because of the stuff Nick brought up. Like there's this whole like, well, yeah, why would you keep that secret from people? And then not only that, like, why would you hire people who like apparently aren't the best at what they're doing? Well, and it's because none of those are to that aim. Like even the the hidden agenda of we're going on a scientific expedition to find these God, creatures. Yeah. Even that ends up being a lie. And it's like, no, 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 I was never interested in the scientific aspect of it. I want to ask God for more life. But don't you think that in order to gaslight Shaw and Holloway into thinking that they're going on a on an actual scientific ex- expedition, you wouldn't hire Fifield? Who from the beginning, like the, one of my problems with this movie is that there's not a lot of surprise. There's some sort of jump, I will agree jumps, with that. But like, I know who's bad right away. I know who's going to go first. I know who's going to go <laughs> crazy. I know who's going to, and and I kept waiting for like, I know what Charlize's deal is with David vis-a-vis Wayland. Like none of this stuff was surprising because it was all telegraphed so early. And I and I wish that there had been some um, revelation of character as 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 it went along. And also, I wish there was some consistency in their um, in their philosophies and their in their um, uh, various ideas about what they were there to do. Um, at one point, at some points, Shah feels very faith oriented mm-hmm. like she just believes that this thing is out there and she wears the cross and the and other times not like wouldn't the person who, go, who goes on faith be the one to take off their helmet for the first time in the like just imagine imagine just for a second that you have she's all faith-based and holloway's the skeptic and they're this like that's part of their issue back and forth with one another so they get inside this structure and she's like listen look, look at the readings we can breathe and he's like what are you talking about? Like, follow the rules. She's like, no. Takes off her helmet. And do you know what I mean? Like, there's that would have made so much more sense. Time, I, time and time again, they're doing yeah. things in scenes because either they're trying to appease some greater philosophical idea or they want something convenient to happen in the scene, not because it follows logically in terms of the characters from what's happened before. And that goes into which it goes into something that you and I talked about, Tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll explain the scene first. And then I love your rebuttal. Okay. Because it's actually, you actually did make me think about it. Now, I don't, I want to hear it again because I don't know if I, I agree. <laughs> okay. But like, so the breaking point for me in this film, the absolute breaking point comes fairly early on and I can't recover from it. Every time I've watched it, I get to this scene and I can't recover from how stupid characters are acting. And it's when the, uh, the mutated snake shows up. So... You have our biologist and geologist. Now, the bio- the mm-hmm. geologist is smoking in his, which I actually thought was a nice little <laughs> yeah, detail. detail. He's got he's got tobacco going he's through his. Uh, I think you were supposed to be. Yeah, he's smoking was, weed. 
Yeah. Oh, it was a weed or whatever. Said, right. You have tobacco in there? He's like, yeah, tobacco. Oh, like, he kind of makes a joke about And then about, takes like, a bong rip. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm, I, I, so yeah. you have a weed-smoking geologist along on the trip. Yeah, who looks like I mean, he's right out of prison. in a like, horror movie. Yeah, yeah but he... looks he, like someone Michael Rooker would play. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... But they, this the the biologist has been freaked out the whole time. They found bodies, and he is freaked out. Now I I can't imagine. Like I, I would imagine, like Hank Green would not go to space. <laughs> but if you if you send him on a fact finding mission and you found dead bodies, he would not be scared. I don't think. I think he would be like, "Holy crap, we found it." <laughs> this is as a biologist. Yeah. this is it you wouldn't move past that point right like yeah you'd be like we gotta take like, samples yeah, we gotta yeah, yeah, we yeah. gotta mm-hmm. you know whatever yeah then the dangerous looking snake shows up <laughs> like it is a clearly dangerous looking threatening scary snake regardless of even if it looked like cartoonishly cute it's the first being you're yes. seeing alive on a planet where you believe everything is dead. Yep. And for him, I will, I mean, we'll get further into this and Tuna can rebut, but I will agree with like that character. The only thing we've learned about him before this is in the scene where they're trying to talk to them about what this mission is going to be and finding the creator and all that yeah. stuff. He's just like, yeah, just throwing uh, years of like evolutionary biology out the window, I guess, huh? <laughs> like he's just like clearly he is the evolution guy who believes yeah. in science first, and so yeah, if he finds a, the first alien being discovered on another planet, you'd think he'd be a little bit more than like here, Gucci Gucci. He's like, <laughs> hey, buddy, and yeah. reaching his hand out <laughs> yeah, to it, yep, mm-hmm. yep. and like. I can't imagine, like, I've watched a lot of nature documentaries, okay? <laughs> and the, you don't, you're like, oh, well, here's a never-discovered python. Here you come, buddy. Come here. Let me grab you. No. You don't, you don't, no. That thing could be, who knows what, you know. <laughs> and it to me, it fractured the reality enough that I'm like, this is a biologist sent on a, on, on a mission that was not explained to me that it, w- at that point, was not explained to me that it was supposed to fail. And even if that is the trick, it was, that didn't play out for me. But so then he gets killed. And I actually found that whole sequence where it wraps around his arm entertaining. Yeah. Like I was yeah. like, this is. And when it breaks his arm, that is also like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, it's effective filmmaking. He said it's yeah. going to break my arm. And I was like, you're right. Yep. It is. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. be gross. <laughs> and there's just that snap. And yeah. it was, oh, you yeah. know, like, again, effective filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ridley Scott knows mm-hmm. what he's Absolutely. doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh and then, you know, Fifield is freaking out. Now, you made a rebuttal to this, Tuna, and I actually liked it. What was your point? Yeah. So, real quick, I want to go back to, like, <laughs> that's like not a rebuttal. Fifield. No, no, no. Like, even just the hiring of Fifield, like, mm-hmm. I want to start with a rebuttal to that. <laughs> because the presumption is that Fifield has not done his job somehow. And that's not true at all. He has mm-hmm. mapped everything. He was very no, useful. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm objecting to, to the, I, the psychological evaluation necessary to put someone through to send them on a two-year mission into space. I'm not talking about whether yeah. he's good at his job. I'm talking it, about whether he's yeah. stable enough to go on this mission. That's like, what, they like, do the seem like that, the first guys that walked into the lab and was like, yeah, you'll do. Yeah, and I think that, right. I think that Holloway and Shaw would have looked at that and said, ah. And I mean, I guess I just don't like... I'm not picking up on that because there's nothing overtly like, yeah, he's a weird guy, but like at the same time, he's there to do a job and he's doing it. And even he remarks, he's like, I'm not here to make friends. 
I'm here today. Like, it's a very, like, sure. in-your-face kind of line. That is my point, though, with that, is mm-hmm. that if I was on a mission that I was going to be on for two years, uh, fact-finding or whatever, on a boat, and we all just got on the boat, and I sat down and said something to one of my boatmates, and they said, yeah, mate, I'm not here to make friends. Fuck well, off. but how long is the actual scientific expedition? Because they're they've in been asleep for like for two, two years. years Still, like, though. This could be the, like the second day they've ever hung out. But I will say, like, that, uh, there's a they... thing with that character. If you make him that guy and lean into that, like, I'm just here to make a buck, dude. Don't. I don't care about you. I have people back home. I don't need another friend. Like, if you lean into that a little more, I would believe it more. I'm just saying I saw it coming. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Because it was, it was oh, telegraphing yeah. to me that what was going to happen with him. Well, and I mean, yeah, that's that comes through in a lot of stuff. Like, his, like, oh, thing, where he howls <laughs> yeah. after releasing his pups. Like, he he and, uh, like, Fifield and Milburn are Shaggy and Scooby-Doo wandering <laughs> around the haunted house. And like, not the fuck is that doing in this movie? <laughs> well, but like, that's the thing. like, that's, I mean, it's not unintentional because I mean, the, the no, Holloway is it Holloway earlier on makes the joke about the holograms being ghosts. And then suddenly the next time we see a hologram are these ghosts running through. Yeah, I've hated the hologram of ghosts. Too. <laughs> I still was, don't quite understand why well, they're there. But for yeah. me, the first moment when they. David activates the hologram ghost thing. I pretty quickly was like, oh, that's like a mem- that's like recorded memories essentially. It's like what mm. happened here before. But multiple times this thing happens and multiple times people are like reacting to them as if they're in the room and it's happening and I'm like, okay, I am not in the year 2093. <laughs> I don't have this a bunch of advanced technology and even I was able to go, oh, that's probably what that is. So why didn't they have a reaction like why were they always scared of those things? I mean, this, I think, comes down to, like, part of my rebuttal for the scene is that there's the dramatic irony of us knowing that this is an alien movie and mm. none of the characters knowing. So, I mean, I guess I'll go into, like, what Nick was talking about with this scene. So, part of the Fifield stuff in the beginning, like, that that intro scene with him, the, like, I'm just here to make money, that sets up Fifield as, oh, here is, like, the big, tough wolf man. Mm-hmm. And here's this nerdy little dude from, like, I don't know, Georgia or Alabama, like, wherever he's wherever from. Wherever he said he was from, yeah. Yeah. And he's he just wants to make friends. Like, he's there to make friends. That's his first act. And so when they get in there, their character arcs are those roles reversing where, oh, it turns out Big Tough Wolfman, who's howling at the moon, is actually a scared little coward, like, running around. And the biologist, like, he is definitely scared, but by the time they make their way back to that room, he is calmer, and more importantly, like, I think he feels the need to be calm because the other person is freaking out. Which, I mean, I can totally empathize with that feeling. Oh, yeah. I mean, And then when it, for the snake itself, like, I mean, A, I don't think that's, like, like, yeah, it's a little stupid, (laughs) but, like, we don't know what kind of biologist he is. So it's, I mean, he could be a dude who's used to looking at <laughs> cells under yeah. microscopes and has only ever seen Crocodile Hunter. If in us snakes. four were out in the wilderness and one of us started doing that toward any kind of snake, us four who are not biologists, <laughs> right. I would specifically say stop being stupid. Yeah, I would walk away oh, and yeah. be like, you get what you deserve. <laughs> right. So I guess like, but you accept that it's not stupid beyond belief. 
I guess I, I, I think thought it that is. was the see, but I dude, I met I grew up with people <laughs> who loved like, oh look at that snake, dude. I'm you, gonna but, grab it like the crocodile. But you, wanna, yeah. you wouldn't send them on this mission. That's what I'm saying. They would well, not yeah, be yeah, here. He no. also doesn't mission. seem like that guy but, until that moment. Like right. he doesn't seem like and I get the character switching thing a little bit, but I think if you had had a character who from the start of this seems like the guy who is like not like they cannot do this mission without him. He is the guy they need. The uh, the Wayne Knight of Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, See, and I love that because there's so much Jurassic Park right, in this film. But that's a guy in Jurassic Park. He is set up as a guy who they need, but they hate. Right, right. He's terrible. He screws things up. He's dumb, but he does this one thing incredibly well, and they can't do it without him. If Milburn was like that guy of like, well, we don't want to bring him. He's, he's really the dumb. Only one we who can do this. Him, but he's the only yep. one who can do this. And he's the one who screws up and starts this thing. I absolutely believe it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I I agree with the like connection of those two characters. But I totally disagree with the uh, characterization of Nedry, because the point is he's there because he's so good at his job. He's not dumb. It was the same thing where Hammond didn't bring him in until. You know, knowing or he didn't know what the project was until he was on board with it. God, until you said Hammond, I thought we were talking about <laughs> Wayland. Prometheus still. Yeah, yeah, I thought we were talking yeah. about yeah. Wayland, and I was like, which See? one's Nedry? <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. right. It was, <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah. and that's it. And that's it's the same thing. Like Wayland is Hammond, only this with felt, that existentialist yeah, like that came dark to my mind because I was also thinking of Jurassic Park one and two throughout this movie. Right, Wayland spared no expense in putting <laughs> on this expedition. Then put Wayland in the movie before he shows up. I, I and just... please have him played by somebody else. <laughs> well, he was originally supposed to be Max von Sydow. That oh, would be really good because he's an old man. And so, Guy Pierce is not yeah. an old man. <laughs> it's terrible is, makeup. At that point, when they reveal Guy Pierce in horrible makeup, I was out of the film. But it was another thing that I it like shocked me. I was like, "Wow, that's old age makeup." Um, and like, yeah, it doesn't look poorly done in the sense that it like no. looks like plastered on and cheap but it looks like a young man playing exactly. an old man yeah. yeah yeah but so this this goes so i'm sorry oh, go ahead so, go ahead uh, so i guess the culmination and i think the moment that i talked about that i think you were referencing before is milburn's actual death where it's in the beginning the first time we meet him he's like oh i'm gonna reach out my hand because i want a friend and now he comes to this snake, like, finally there's something familiar, like he has some sort of background in biology. On this lone alien planet, here's this, finally, this one thing that's familiar. So he reaches out his hand and wants to make a friend, but then the monkey's paw curls up <laughs> and he dies because of his desire to make a friend. Now, that is what you said earlier that I, I completely agree with. This is a monkey paw movie. Oh, absolutely. Like, this is everything you want, but it's twisted, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah. Like, I want to have a baby, but, you know, so there's that. You're going to have one in about 10 minutes. Right. I want to meet my maker. And then he's going to hit me in the head with my robot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's the the tagline for this movie. I want to meet my maker. But then he hits me in the head head with the robot. But then, like, here's the thing is, like, you can do all of that. You can have all of that stuff with characters who are not stupid who don't do things that fracture the reality of the film, at least for me, I, I feel like every turn. And then you even had things like, I love Charlize Theron. Like I, I mm-hmm. absolutely love her work in almost everything she's been in. Even when the movies are crap, I love her. I did not love her in this. Mm-hmm. I thought she was a nothing. She, she was just angry all the time for no reason. Again, she's just, she walks out of cryo 
pissed off at everybody. Was she a robot? Oh, no, that's, no, she's his no. biological daughter. I'm yeah, sure. that's the whole yeah. character arc for her, There's and no... she stands there as like the mirror image <laughs> no, of David. You can't use the word arc. <laughs> she has no arc. She is the same from the beginning to the end of this movie. There's yeah, you, the only I, detour I, is I, when she maybe goes and has sex with Idris Elba, but beyond that, she's exactly the same person. And even in doing like, that, there's no change. No, there, yeah, and, and that could be interesting in another movie, in another, and and there may be some, there may be sort of a a, a sort of a way in. It to sort of to explain why it makes sense that does not mean it works dramatically in the movie well yeah. and that's the thing like with this also really pissed me off watching it this time was the only time I started to like her was when she and Idris Elba had that little conversation and she decides she does want to get laid mm-hmm. and I was at one point I was immediately went from Oh, look, she's smiling and, and kind of, you know, she's she's happy. And then I realized, oh, yeah, because now now she's normal because she wants to get fucked. Right. Right. And I was <laughs> like, a well, terrible come thing to do. on. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so so there was that. And then she reveals that he's her father. And maybe it has something to do with David. But I was like, when they did it, when she says, all right, let's do this. Father. Yeah. It's like a Star Wars. It moment. was. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that matter? What does him being her father have to do with anything? Why couldn't she just be the captain of the ship I, or his or his, uh, you know, company COO or whatever like it, it, that? So. Uh, so, again, I'm out of the movie and I'm just questioning. I'm going, well, why is that? Well, why is this? Right. Because she, <laughs> if she felt like if it came across at all that she was doing this, I guess, reluctantly, which it does, there are moments of that. But it never really seems like the daughter who didn't want to do her dad's bidding. No, she's coming, and she and she he what didn't want her to come. Yeah, she, she is. Yeah, she, that like, too. It's it's not reluctant because she's she's chosen to come on this yeah. thing for reasons I still don't fully understand. Right, because she says like, "What was I going to just sit there yeah. in this and and just look at you know and have board meetings?" Yeah. and yeah. I'm like, "But you didn't want to be here. <laughs> what are you?" Why? It's, a, it's such a waste of her. It's such it's a waste a, it's of her. A, she was originally supposed to be the Nomi Rapace character. Oh, really? She had mm-hmm. scheduling difficulties, and so they cast Nomi Rapace. Oh. Um, and then she got freed up with those, really wanted to work with Ridley Scott, and so, so well, we've got Vickers, and huh. she was cast in that role. I don't know if those are better, because I don't, I, I don't understand Shaw either. Well, but I like... I mean, this is completely just like hypothetical, obviously, but like in my head, Nomi repays. I like I like her better in that role than Charlize Theron. Hmm. Like for me, Charlize Theron comes off in most movies as the kind of the character she plays in this is like the very strong, sure of herself character. And I think you need Shaw to be a little less sure of herself because we need to see to me. Her, we were talking about her faith a lot earlier and how. Mm-hmm. Um, that's reflected in the film. For me, the vibe I got was that her faith is based, based very strongly on the fact that it was her father's faith. The cross necklace she wears is her father's. The 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 dream sequence we see is her father talking about like different religion and their mom like being in heaven or like that. And 
because we needed another flashback in this movie. Yeah, but it, I'm saying that it's it's the way it's done and the way we see. Oh her. my god, it's the third. There's a yes. third false yes. start. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's less of a false start. David's been awake for a while. It's, first. It's, yeah, we see yeah. it in a computer. We he's don't just watch, like, cut he's to watching. that scene. He's just watching people's yeah. dreams yeah. all yeah. invasively, yeah. which, is, which yeah. again right. is cool. Like, yeah, yeah. that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. That's a neat. Like, let's stick with that idea. Well, especially like you see the horror on her face when it's like revealed. When because oh yeah she's been violated she feels like she's been violated he's like oh I've been watching your your dreams dreams. it's like (laughs) what excuse me what (laughs) Um, and not only that like that scene is to me one of the most important like that interaction between the two of them because that justifies like that's all of David's motivation especially toward her but like toward Holloway too like you'll notice he has like a cross tattoo even though he's the skeptic and like so he and he looks kind of like her father like he's a stubbly white dude you know oh the mm. both british too yeah uh, holloway yeah oh holloway, holloway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. shit no i was thinking david no no no. <laughs> yeah david doesn't have any tattoos that we see that would <laughs> right. be cool that would be interesting. <laughs> right <laughs> but david holloway's also like not outright abusive but definitely like I mean, when they first go to find the head of the engineer he shoves her aside and like mm-hmm. like in a ostensibly protective way, but it's not protective. And there's like multiple times throughout. I, I could go through my notes. Idiots and assholes. He was the boss of this outfit, maybe that they were a part of. And then they came together because even in the beginning opening scene, when she's doing the research, like, She's with a mystery man that we don't ever see, which I thought was going to get paid off and doesn't. Um, she's just with a guy and says, like, go get Charlie or something like that. And he yells, mm-hmm. Charlie, we found the thing. I expected her to go, I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, like, we yeah. don't see who that guy is that's with her or, mm-hmm. like, I, yeah, that was weird. But I. <laughs> but no, when the, hold on. <laughs> so when the, the, this is where his assholery begins is that sequence at the very beginning in Scotland, because. Mm-hmm. She goes, get Charlie. She's excited. She's very happy. Yeah. The other guy comes out and goes, you know, Dr. Holloway. And he walks up and he says, you got to come here and look at this. And he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what? What do you mean, what? You've, what are you here to do? What are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like he's very much using the people around him in certain ways. For and what, though? I, well, I mean, it's not incredibly clear. I think it's for the discovery. He's kind of the... Uh, I'm not going to be able to pull the name. The guy from Indiana Jones. Belloc? Uh, huh? Belloc? Yeah. Who's okay. kind of like, he's, Good. I'm overseeing this. I will take all of the credit for whatever we find. But like, come to me when you have something. And huh. so when he finds out what it is, he's like, oh, shit, guys, look what we found. We're all going to go look at this thing <laughs> we found. Um, <laughs> definitely something we all discovered. It was great day. We had drinks. Um, and then they find out. My and name he, is Holloway. I, yeah. I like that so much better than what the movie gives. Well, though. but then he like has the, the quickest fall because he he builds up his own hype in a way yeah. of just like, we are going to find creation. And the moment he can't talk to a god He's disappointed. Yeah. And I think that shows a lot about who he is of like, not like that, that bar that no one has ever imagined being able to do of basically talking to a God is the only thing that would make him happy. I just, I, I, I love that so much. I wish that was in the movie. I just never get that. And I don't know who he is anywhere along. And each scene, he feels like it's, it's a different thing. He's, 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 he's I just feel like he's a dick. I will agree that I think, 
as much as I do still love this movie, I have not been talked either way of like <laughs> loving it more or loving it less than I do like when I watched it last night. But I will say some of the things you guys have pointed out as far as character goes do make a lot of sense. And I think for me, this movie had an overall feeling while I was watching it that just kept me wanting to watch it. And those little things that I saw past in the moment when Milburn is reaching out to the snake, I was looking at it as like, that's a dumb thing to do, but it wasn't dumb in the way that took me out of the movie or made me think he wouldn't do that. I was like, this is a dumb guy doing a dumb thing. <laughs> um, and This is I, a dumb guy in a horror movie. Well, and I think right. we see that in a Don't lot of... Don't go in the basement. Yeah. I think we see that in a lot of horror and sci-fi movies, especially 80s and 90s ones, where you kind of have your archetype characters, you have the badass, you have this. And I think this both leans into and away from that in certain ways um, with those types of characters. Because I think if those types of characters pop up in an 80s movie and you have a dumb biologist, you're less surprised because it feels less grounded. So I think it popping up in this movie, and like Nick said, this feels like a very realistic, grounded movie, that's where it probably throws you off. Yes, that that is yeah. exactly where it throws me off. Um, I agree with everything Matt just said. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, but that's the, the, that's the thing. That's is, the thing. Yeah. But I want to agree with you with one thing. Even though this movie really frustrates me. I also want to agree with the fact that if it's on, I usually, I would, if I were to run across this on television, I might stop and watch it because it is so beautifully made. And like, there's a lot going on here. Um, also, I just, I like Nomi Rapace. And, mm. but the, the, the amount, the amount of decisions and things that happen with characters, just, it just breaks me. I can't, I, I can't buy into it because every at every turn, anytime there's a chance to make a decision and to do something, it's never even talked about something might be stupid. Like you could you could hang a lantern on some of this and it would be a little bit better. Like, for instance, in the uh, where they where they have the head and they're working on it. It would be really great if somebody came in and go, no, we should not be doing this. This needs to be in quarantine. We can't, you know, Don't blah, blah. wake up the head. I mean, that, should say. yeah, that's and that's one of the powers of the original alien was Sigourney Weaver was Ripley being the person at all ends saying, no, that is not how we do things. Regulation states we have to do it this way. And then people intentionally going around her and fucking it up and that causing a problem. Which they kind of give Vicar some of that, where especially yeah. like when she's doing the, the, <clears throat> flame the flamethrower thing. Flame yeah. flame thing and trying mm -hmm. to keep uh, Charlie off the ship. Um, like she is being that person, but because they haven't done that enough with her, I don't know if she's doing this because of protocol mm -hmm. or if she's doing it because she wants to murder him. Right. I also don't actually know who's in charge, even though they have that thing at the beginning where they say, mm -hmm. uh, where she says, I'm running this. And then the, the two doctors come up and go, well, we're in charge. And then they get dirty looks. That's it. Yeah. Because like, Wayland I, in his videos says that they're essentially in charge yeah. now. And she kind of gives them a dirty look. And it's like. Okay, so then they all give orders throughout all of it, and then we have the captain played by Idris Elba, who also gets to give orders from to everyone. So you have four people in this movie who control all the other people, but don't no control anybody. And, and Idris Elba, and his, we were 
talking earlier and his two f- buddies buddies well, his two co-pilots oh, yeah they seem like the pilots they so, feel yeah. like they're the ones that every time I'm with them I'm like oh okay I'm with characters who are yes. consistent <laughs> and who are surprising yes. and who are like I want to just like their movie I'm interested in yeah. <laughs> of this because it's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm at home with them in a way I'm not with, in, with anybody else yeah My... and I would say that Idris Elba was also a very likable character I, I said that all the characters were either idiots or assholes <laughs> I, I he's a little bit of an idiot <laughs> was he? I mean, those two dudes die because Idris Elba's off having sex and not doing his job. Like, he well, was, like, yeah, manning the monitors yeah. and watching what these two guys are doing. At times, even seems like maybe purposefully sending them into harm's way. I don't know what... I still his... didn't understand the whole ping thing. Really. Yeah, because he, like, lies to them a little bit and then just leaves them alone when they're, like, clearly on an alien planet with yeah. nobody to help them. And he leaves the monitors to go have sex. And while that's happening, they're crying out for help and yelling and there's no one around to help them. Not that anyone could have done anything. At that no, but at least on. like yeah. that would prevent like 20 minutes later when they're like, we should go search for these guys. <laughs> yeah. We don't yeah, know true. what no, happened true. to them. True. When that's did he point. lie? Uh, he, when, well, it's not like an outright. I don't know if there's an outright lie. No, but, but he's is, watching their yeah. location and where the ping is happening and there's the life form thing. Mm-hmm. He is like in a really weird mood in that scene. And you can't tell if he's trying to get them to go to like, yeah, go check it out, guys. See what happens. Or if oh. he's just letting them know. To me, it felt like he was in on some dark plot that we didn't know about yet. And I was waiting for that shoe to drop, and it didn't. So that scene confused me even more. And this plays into my problem with a lot of this stuff where they're looking for life. Even if they're going by Wayland's idea of we're going to go find these gods. And you get pings that pop up and say, we've got something over here, but it keeps disappearing. We need to go check that out. Also, as opposed tell to like, ah, it's probably everyone a, else. It's tell probably a malfunction. Tell Vicar, tell the doctors, tell the scientists, like, <laughs> hey, there's a ping that says there might be life on this planet. Should we check that out? Yeah. Instead and of it, just, like, telling two guys, like, yeah, I understand if you don't want to go there. Go get some sleep, guys. <laughs> sleep tight. I'm sure it's nothing. Well, I mean, they're stuck there because of the storm. Yes. So, like, yeah. they can't, like, even if they wanted to go in and get them, they can't. And, like, the next morning, like, I don't think the glitch thing is a lie because they remark on it while they're on their way out to go rescue those guys. Like, hey, that glitch is still going on. This is and the... he explains it to David. Yeah. As, like, oh, yeah, like, go solve it. Like, it's it to me, it does not come off as he thinks there's anything to it. And I can see, yeah, like him being a little weird and like maybe messing with them. Yeah. But like, but as like in the same way that as he's like walking away, he's like, don't bugger each other. Yeah. Like in that same sort of like, he's not worried, which is why he is. Yeah. And I think it just, I think you're right, but I think it just comes off as a little, because this is a movie where a lot of characters seem shady and like they're up to something. Mm -hmm. I read into it a little more than I think they wanted me to. Um, because, like, David, his ulterior motives are so clear from so early in this movie <laughs> that he is up to something that nobody else knows about. The moment they're in, like, cave one, he's typing on this keypad that he's never seen before, opening doors, saying, oops, I messed up. It's like, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. so a- campy and, like... It's, it's very interesting that they don't hide his, what, like, what? ulterior motives more. Why does he poison... Holloway. 
Great question. Well, first Holloway's of all, an asshole. Holloway is an absolute <laughs> yeah. asshole Look, to him. There's a lot. I understand, and I don't know why he's an asshole. It seems to be specifically an asshole to him in every scene. I don't understand why. But unless maybe he saw Alien, um, <laughs> but never but, trust the robot. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, just a. I, th- I feel like a lot of like future based movies have that character who's sort of like robot phobic in a way yeah, of sure. like Fine. you yeah, shouldn't yeah, exist. You're too human. So so he so he kills him or he infects him with this thing. It's not for any R- Whalen reason. I I mean because he is talking to Wayland directly before right. that scene, which is cool that he can talk to him in his dreams. And I would have like, loved it if we had seen it. <laughs> well, we were supposed to. That's why Guy Pierce was cast, according to the trivia. Yeah, but that I mean, like... Young Guy Pierce was supposed to play dream talking yep. to David version uh, of Wayland. Uh, and so oh, that's why I they see. cast like young, him. Oh, like when, okay. when they were they were going to show them communicating mm. oh, and it was going to be young Guy Pierce talking to David. Yeah. And I, just, I feel like they, they, the withholding the Whalen thing was a was a problem, but I, it but was I, but not I don't, a surprise by the time. But, you but get I did to not it. understand why. I understand David was being nefarious again so, from the very beginning. Yeah. There's no surprise there, but I don't. Know, but I don't. But know he's why. being nefarious in ways that don't make sense. The I well, it gives it gives like credence to a larger, more sinister plot of like killing everyone off because they're in my way of getting to what I want. But Holloway wasn't in no, the way. But no. I don't think it's. So one of the other concepts that come up is same one as Blade Runner, which is like, oh, is this like, what is the difference between humanity and being a robot? Right. Like mm-hmm. functionally, what is, and even, I mean, there are so many times and I laughed every time when somebody says something and it cuts to a reaction shot of David and there's just this subtle, like, what the fuck? Like, it's, to me, it was very clear that David does experience emotions and this characterization of him as like, oh, like he is programmed to be subservient to Wayland, which comes up in that, oh, like that's, I want my parents dead because then I am free. And that, so that, but before he gets to that freedom point, the most freedom he has is following the letter of his orders rather than the intent. And so I think it's like whatever Wayland said to him, that the takeaway was try harder. Uh, it's like, all right, like, I mean, I don't know if he wants to know because he, he doesn't know what the goo does at that point. Right. Like, I don't like none of the transformations have taken place, but he was able to read that's right. all oh, of that yeah. stuff. So, it, so it's, yeah, yeah kinda, you're right. So he, it's entirely positive. And like, because this know, whole like, thing, the whole theme of this thing is, is also about um, uh, 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 creation. Creation, right. The idea that he can't create, he can't, you know, he was created, mm-hmm. but now he can't create. Now he's going to create something. It, it, it occurred to me that it's like, okay, maybe this is his thing. Let's see what happens. Right. And, and he's a curious, you know. Curiosity. Yeah, he's yes. very curious and he wants to figure it out. But at the same time, I'm I'm like, okay. Well, my problem I mean, with that. And? My yeah. problem with David as a character, like. I, I think he I, I do like most of what he does in this movie and I like Michael Fassbender a yeah, lot. He, he is great. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's really, really good. good. Really the, good. Yeah. Some of the biggest moments in this movie are not on screen or not said in any language you can understand. And I think to me some of those moments come across as well that's convenient. Like, <laughs> like the like, one uh, when he's communicating with Wayland through the pod where he like touches it and he's talking to him. And then he goes and talks to Vicar. He, to me, I read that as he could easily be lying 
about like what mm-hmm. he's saying that like the try harder could be not at all related to anything Waylon told him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Waylon could have told him, "Hey, murder a few people, see what's going on." <laughs> and like we will never know. We don't know Waylon's motivation beyond trying to see where he came from before he dies. So then way we get to like the climactic sort of climactic scene of they are meeting the engineer and they get in this room with David and Wayland and Shaw. I think that's all that's there. Some dudes with guns. Also some dudes with oh, guns. Oh yeah, his guards that um, we didn't know about. Didn't right. Know about Just some more people to get slapped up against the wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Funner. Wayland is there and using David as a translator to tell the engineer something. We assume, I don't know, asking questions, what he's trying to get him to ask him, what he's trying to get him to tell. While Shaw is like screaming for the important stuff that we all are kind of like, yeah, no, let her talk, (laughs) please. We want to find out those things. And then David says something in an alien language. We don't at all really know what he could have said. And the engineer gets pissed. And starts starts throwing people. And Was the translation your mother? Yeah, that's what it like. It came across as like, oh, whatever he said wasn't the right thing to say in this in this uh, world. So you've ruined everything essentially with your one request or what you were trying to get him to do. And for me, that kind of read as like the the engineers don't like the selfishness of this one man and. He is not, he cannot be bothered with the selfishness of this one man. This is not what he's here for. So away with you sort of thing. But the fact that both David's motivation early on and David's motivation in that moment of what he's trying to get the engineer to do are both like obtuse, like Mm -hmm. is is kind of annoying Mm -hmm. to me. I I think they're obtuse plot wise, but to me it's like clearly that's, it goes back into the existentialism where it's. These people all have their expectations of this god, and they're trying to build the expectation before they're seeing the reality of it. And so I'm probably going to mess all these terms up, <laughs> but Lacan's big confidence. things. Yeah. Well, the the big thing with Lacan and how that's like his stuff relates to this is the difference between uh, the symbolic and the real, both capital letters. Um because I guess that's what you do in philosophy is capitalize stuff. <laughs> but basically, that's what like Trump's doing. Like when I yeah, <laughs> capitalize random things and it's a mantra. Don't don't, don't bring me like, down on my podcast, <laughs> man. Sorry, it was so easy. But basically, like so, there's like the the disparity between those two and like which order you try to approach them in. I think and like the movie, like all of David's motivations to me are trying to like bring everybody to his where it's. You see the thing and then determine what it is from that rather than like here is what it is and then like be disappointed when it's not. I, I, I don't <laughs> I, I've never seen Nick more broken. <laughs> I don't agree with you. Well, it's not about agreeing because I don't think you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't see it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. Or even if it's in there, if it's embedded in there, I don't really see the purpose Purpose within this movie. Like, I I don't I don't see like, well, okay, you can talk about all of this. uh, You can talk about existentialism you can talk about um, creation. You can talk about a lot of this stuff. And I come back to the same thing. Okay, but like, why? Why? (laughs) But that's the point. It's like you're looking for the essence 
and le- because you're not satisfied with the the existence. Well, not really. <laughs> I mean, well, but because I, mean, that's, I guess that's what I'm getting is like the existence. Like you want something out of this movie, and its whole idea is that like you're not getting this. Waylon's not getting life. We're not getting like nobody in this movie gets what they want because that's okay. not how the universe works. If somebody spent a hundred and thirty million dollars on a project that is just designed to frustrate and irritate me, I have higher concerns. Have you met Damon Lindelof? <laughs> uh, like, I get <laughs> That's it. That's kind of his thing. I mean, the 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 issue here I have is like, okay, the movie was not, for me, was not an enjoyable thing. It was not something that I believed in. It was not something where the reality worked for me. It was not something where the characters made sense. Um, Whereas I am like, even without everything you've presented here, Tuna, like I am on the 180 degree, like flip side of everything Nick just said. Whereas, like I thoroughly enjoy this movie for it being a movie, not watching it like and mm-hmm. dissecting it too much, like seeing it once, sitting through it, and not wanting to turn it off, and immediately asking Nick, like, can I borrow the sequel because I need to keep watching yeah. this story. And so, for me, I think it's interesting that we each had such a different i mean like tobin and nick had a pretty similar (laughs) pretty similar yeah yeah. but like but we're also like we're the we're similar ages we've had similar life experience you also both have more experience with alien as a franchise so Mm -hmm. i think as much as that doesn't really directly tie into this there is still something there of an expectation for an alien related movie um but I think it's interesting that we came into this conversation thinking we were like two versus two. And now it's like <laughs> one and one and two of like Tuna and I enjoy this movie in very different ways for very different reasons. Right. But you both enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And that and then Tobin and I didn't enjoy this film in, in very similar ways. Right. Um, I, I think you guys have raised a lot of good questions that I can't answer. And I don't think we'll find answers on, in, in any short way. There's a moment in this movie, though, that I, like, paused the movie and questioned, like, wait, what? Who? <laughs> what? How? Who said? How do we know this? And it's when Idris Elba's character, like, comes into a room and explains away that this is not what we thought it was. This is a military installation. We have to get out of here. This is not this. What? Well, How? We have never, no one has ever said anything about any of that information <laughs> about like this being a military installation. There's been no like proof. We found one ship. There's no proof that there's like bombs or weapons or attack things. But he walks into a room and with complete confidence says like, we need to get out of here. This is a military installation. It's not where life began. Let's go. And they're just like, cool, let's do that. And I don't understand where he gets uh, is, maybe there's a deleted scene on the Blu-ray <laughs> because that seems to come out of nowhere. Out of the screenwriter's well, need that, to get them back on the ship. Yeah. yeah, that's a little bit of a jump, but it happens after. So you have like Hollowfield or uh, so that's not a person. Mixed, Holyfield see, well, and Tyson. This is why I'm getting these two mixed up. So you have like Holloway gets burned to death. Yeah. Like that's his big thing. And mm-hmm. that is uh, that is Yannick's experience with the temple or whatever it is right is like oh, okay like bad shit's coming out of there and then on top of that he has to reconfront that same thing like in the exact same spot uh five field zombie shows up 
Oh, like, we didn't even talk about. Okay, here's another problem I have. God damn it! <laughs> I love it. I want to defend the scene so bad. <laughs> what? What the fuck? What? Okay, so one guy, Fifield, the guy we talked about a lot earlier, the geologist who gets served his purpose, sprayed and then in died. the face with some something, uh, acid, blood. some sort of acid yeah. blood, which turns melts. him into a monster. Well, he fell face down in the black goo. Okay, yeah. and, and, and so what? Yeah. And so, so what, he comes what happens? He comes back so, as a crab man. <laughs> right. So, like, in story-wise, like, it reminded me of in Sunshine where, uh, whatever his name is, the psychologist, like, sacrifices his own life mm-hmm. in the fire of the sun. And then from that emerges Pinbacker. Only this time it's Holloway has the rebel, like, he's sacrificed, like, no, burn me up. And then from that same spot where he's burned up, uh, this like burned, scarred zombie comes up. Oh, I didn't connect those two at. Yeah, not oh, in zero percent connection. Like two feet away. Wait, like to, it's literally see, like me, the same. To me, Fifield's uh, weird crab body crawled from the hole to yeah, the ship to I'm, come I'm, and get yeah, that. I guess I'm talking like story wise, not like to literally do with Holloway. But the way it's shot, like so, yeah, plot wise, like they're two separate characters. But the way it's shot, like Holloway. Mm. Fifield emerges from that spot where Holloway died. So what am and I? To, what am I to glean like, from that? Well, a like this is like plot wise. This is what Holloway was turning into. Is this gigantic, strong? Like this is this like this is what oh, he would have been. This is if what he didn't the black burned. goo does. Yeah. This is this dangerous weapon. Like because nobody knows what really happened in that room. Like I don't know if they just didn't check the recordings or like I mean they're just. They just got back, yeah. whatever it was. They just decided, you know what? We're just going to go out there They're idiots, instead. remember? Idiots. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But like this is, and at the same time, it also contrasts with, so like uh, uh, Shaw's reaction to Holloway being burned is this, you know, laying on the ground, crying and screaming. And then. Which is, is a, the most human reaction right. to anything in this movie. <laughs> and so, like, in that same spot, I'm saying story-wise, like, the techno-mutant werewolf <laughs> pops back up yeah. and starts fucking everything up, fucking up people's shit. But this is being edited into the same time as Shaw is undergoing her abortion and getting rid of yeah. the very last bit of Charlie. And now... She gets to the end of that and she just doesn't care. Like she's moving past him, which is part of her arc in terms of faith, like you were talking about. Because in the beginning, she has not, an existentialism. An I, did, I did not say <laughs> an arc. I said her faith was convenient in the movie, but go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying her faith is her arc because in the beginning, she starts out like she's going to this planet because she knows that there's her creators are there. I would argue then that she doesn't have an arc though, because right, the very the, the last <laughs> well, moment of the movie is her being like well, there's definitely another planet we well, can go to. But <laughs> like, she still has the same belief as she does at the beginning of the movie. It's just, she's like, it's just over there. Let's just keep going. But, yeah. So this, yeah. this comes so well. <laughs> to the existential concept of authenticity, where in the beginning her faith is inauthentic because she needs that exterior force. Like she needs this star map to tell her to go find her creator. She needs, like she has to know that they're there. And that's part of like she clings to her cross because it belonged to her father and clings to her faith. It's her father's faith. And David calls her out on this when he's like, oh, no, 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 you mustn't look at the screen. It's much too bad. He literally takes her, because clearly David is not a religious man. He takes her cross and places it in a specimen cup like it's a urine sample. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so she goes through this point where, like, he essentially, like, her father died of Ebola. And he points out, like, oh, and weird how your boyfriend died of a crazy disease, too. What a coincidence. Like, no, he did that on purpose, which frees her up. The end of the movie is her going, like, you know, there. the existentialism sets in. There are no answers. And she's like... But no, I'm I'm going to go ask the questions no. anyway. Like she has found out that there are no answers, but that's not going to stop her drive. Her I faith becomes authentic in the existentialist sense where it's like it doesn't matter what the reality is. Like I this think you are giving this movie far too much credit. Yes. Yes. Uh, but yes. I don't like And you did a lot of Wikipedia reading this week. <laughs> I I think But I mean where is how is that how is any of it untrue, I guess? I mean that's like the tagline for philosophy <laughs> philosophy 101 well, thank you it, 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 it's not not and, not true and that and that doesn't make it dramatically uh, effective yes that, that's that's the biggest issue this movie has is that these uh, these ideas you you certainly may pull these ideas that does not make the the movie hang together as a f- as a film as a film the kind of film this film is supposed to be an antonioni film can do all that stuff even a and Lynch film. E- even some Lynch films could, you know. That, <laughs> Which, um, so by virtue of being a Ridley Scott no, film, like, no, no, it no. doesn't... I don't no. think... I don't... I I will agree with them and that I don't think this movie is trying to be as deep as you're, as, like, as you're going with it. I don't think... I think it's trying to be the summer blockbuster with a hint of, like, obviously some philosophical ideas, but I don't think... The structure of this movie is as deep as that. And I think that's, for me, I didn't get any of that without having to like dig into it. Watching this film for me was like, cool, summer blockbuster sci-fi. I like these ideas and like what's happening on the screen. I guess See, I can't get on board with that because then it's like, you know, I'm, like granted, I'm not a philosophy major. <laughs> but like, well, I think you are now. These, like, <laughs> All of these philosophical ideas have just sort of like coincidentally laid over the plot like this. Like no, that no, seems no, like no, a no, much no, further no, no, stretch. No, 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 no. I, mean, I think they were thinking of them when they wrote the script. I don't think they're expecting the movie going public to know any of this or to be able to dissect that in the moment and to then thoroughly and like to enjoy the movie more because they are aware of those ideas. And I think that's where. Regardless of like you explaining it as and like making sense, it doesn't make Nick and Tobin like the movie anymore. That they know the reasons behind it happening, right? And so that on that side, it's a failure of the movie making. Regardless of the philosophy behind it, the script, the editing, the characters, the like everything in that regard is the failure for these two. Well, it's interesting because my real good is going to talk a little bit about this. There are movies that. I have this this I have your relationship with uh, Mm. with uh, a couple of movies that's like, no, this movie is important and fascinating if you think more deeply about it uh, in different ways. And I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to that point. I don't have it with this film and the film makes me angry on some levels that it's like, I don't care how much thought went into it because it is such it's 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 it's. Because it wastes so many turns that could be easily fixed into making it something that is much more coherent and and for lack of a better word, entertaining, 
um, that it's like, yeah, but it's also about nihilism or no, not nihilism. It's about existentialism. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And what, what am I supposed to take away from that? Like it, it, at the end of the day, the plot itself, the story itself still doesn't work for me. The characters don't work for me. Their plights don't work for me. So therefore I, I struggle to look deeper into it. That doesn't mean other people can't or shouldn't. It just means that I can't find a window in. I for the experience that this movie seems like it's trying to make, which is one of a cosmic horror. It's a it's one of cosmic horror of the idea that we it is that is an existential idea. The the idea that humans don't really understand what's out there and we are just a tiny tiny speck in the in the universe and the universe does not care about us. That is cosmic horror at its heart. And so I was fucking excited to see a movie that was about that. And th- those things were so buried in a way that did not play out in character did not play for me did not play out in character did not play out in um plot did not play out i mean it, it the the thing that i take away from this is look how beautifully made it is and look how great it is to look at and look at this wonderful cast but i can't go deeper i just can't i i can't go deeper on it because i feel like it fails at some of the basic things that I think a movie at this level should not be failing at. So that's where I'm coming from on it. Cause like everything that I read, I read cosmic horror and it is all about existentialism and existential dread and, and the, 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 the insignificance of humanity. Um, so I am primed for that. And this movie did not do it for me. It did not, it did not ignite those neurons in my brain. So that's where I am with it. (laughs) We need to move on. Yes, we do. (laughs) To how we would fix this. And I don't think Tuna and Matt would, but uh, I've got one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do it mine really quickly. And I just think you make a, I, I love the idea of this movie. I absolutely do. Going off to distant planet, looking for God or creation or whatever and finding horror. Yep. I am yep. there for that yep. movie that yes, you want to weave in faith into that too. It's great. I'm, I'm all, I'm all it's on your board. real good star Trek. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> we just watched that recently yeah. and I was like, it's somewhat similar. No, mine's a really weird. It, it, okay. It's going to be really bizarre. Right. Uh, Tobin knows what, <laughs> when, when I get to talking to him, he's going to be maybe hopefully anyway, okay. we'll see. Um, I would just like to see a smarter team of characters who are going and are doing things by the book. And maybe, yeah, you have David who is uh, smarter than them. I mean, I guess maybe they fall into the whole thing. Well, that's what Ash was doing in the first alien, but still it's effective. And I, I think that instead of it being almost a comedy of errors with these people, it could be a really smart group of people who go and they have ego and they have um, they, you know, they have expectations, but they are still very capable people and, and, and clearly people who would be on this mission. You mentioned Sunshine, which is one of my favorite films. I love Sunshine. I think it is an incredible movie. And I like the philosophy that's buried in that movie. Um, but at the heart of it, that team of people that's on that ship 
obviously should be there. And they're the second team. They're not even the it's first the choices. Yeah, this is yeah. the B team yeah. that's going to do this. Um, so, yeah, I, I I would just make those characters smarter. So I didn't spend the whole time going, well, why did you do that? <laughs> Nobody would. Why? Oh, God, don't touch it. <laughs> you know, I mean, even so much so much as when David walks into the place and he starts just pushing buttons. And nobody even looks at him and goes. <laughs> the fact that David, the the one that when he goes, "Oops, sorry," I'm like, "No, <laughs> the robot assistant shouldn't be saying, Oops, sorry.'" Yeah, like I, the, there are like you have someone call him up and he can say something like, "I think this is a, I think this is a code." Mm-hmm. To open the door, and then they can have a conversation that's like, should, should, we, should we or do, should we not open the you door? Know, and then he just starts opening the door. Yeah. He's like, I got this, everyone. Don't worry <laughs> oh, about see, it. See, I love that because it's David going, fuck it. You know, well, like, it's yes. not David. It, David's not the problem, though. Right. right. Mm-hmm. The right. problem is that nobody, that nobody fucking right. cares. Right. Right. Like, right. that's the problem. Not yeah. Sean. It's not, like a small moment of like, I don't know if we should, David. He's like, I got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And no one's like, well, we're going to go the other way. And we don't know what's in here. Like, even if there was a moment of like, it opens and, you know, some. Mist comes out and they all go, oh shit, you know, yeah. and uh, run. There, there is no moment for that. So I just think that everybody is dumb and doesn't care. And then I agree, it was a weird choice that she's the one with all the faith, but doesn't take her helmet off. And the other guy who doesn't, he seems to be a skeptic, but he's the one. And it didn't feel her faith purposeful. is inauthentic. But well, I, <laughs> that's not dramatically. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I feel like he is the, the, the cocksure guy, though, who would do that. And like, and who shouldn't? If he is yeah. the cocksure guy who would do that, he shouldn't be on this team. He no, but be he's the going, leader of that small team is within he? it. I never saw him as a leader. I mean, of anything. Yeah, to be fair, I don't know. I saw him as how. her boyfriend, like who was kind of angry, and that was yeah. at droids specifically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, okay. Look, just yeah. makes people smarter. Yeah. <laughs> That's my comp- God damn it. <laughs> and that would fix so much with this movie. I would be so much more on board if the All people right. just acted smarter. And just didn't make decisions that from the moment one, I'm like, what? No, what? No. Like, okay, that fine. Tobin. <laughs> so I, I alluded to it earlier, uh, to be brief. So if you said, how do we make this movie with all of these ideas work? Mm-hmm. You expand it. You do it as a 10-part limited series thing. Give it 10 hours, eight hours or whatever. And like have them, like let's, let's unravel all this stuff. Um, or you strip a bunch of it out. And you and you have the the story that you put cosmic horror. They go to find God. They uh, the horror ensues because of their own hubris or whatever. Like hubris was the word. I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know you have you have that story. And then but if you do that, you need to invest as much or more in the human characters as you do in the mythology and the philosophy of your movie. If you if if you what you're making is a ostensibly narrative film. $430 million or for $5 or whatever. If you're not making a film that's going to use filmmaking to unravel the, the philosophy, then, then you, then I, then I feel betrayed when the movie weighs the philosophy more than it weighs consistency of character and arc. So you, you'd have to do that stuff to this movie, um, but have it look just as beautiful as it does. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Style the Darius same. Walski, please come back yeah, and, yeah. and shoot, just, just shoot film and send me the tapes <laughs> and I'll just look at them. <laughs> <laughs> Tuna, what is your one thing? Um, so the way I understand it, Lindelof came in to like punch up 
Spate? Is that his name? Yeah. Punch so up his script? He, so, and I mean, then there yeah, were I know some there's problems. more to it than that. Yeah, well, he came well, in he, to punch it up, and then there were problems, and then they basically had to hire him, hire Lindelof to come in and do an entire rewrite. Right, because I know he took out, like, a bunch of the more alien-y stuff. Like, yeah. I read something where that was his, like, thing. Well, this like, original, this germinated as right. an idea between this I couldn't believe this when I read this so I hope that this is true uh between Ridley Scott and James Cameron mm. they wanted oh, to come yeah, back I and Cameron agree. would produce and Ridley Scott but this was like in 2004 or 5 yeah um cuz it was right as Alien versus Predator was coming out mm. and when that happened both of them stepped away and went like no <laughs> I'm not playing in this universe <laughs> and then this idea came back and the script Alien Engineers was out there by Spate, I think. And then um, they wanted to do some touch-ups, Scott Lindelof, and then there there got to be some sort of fight where it's like, well, you can't punch up this much. I know that there are rules mm-hmm. with like mm-hmm. how much can be done. Mm-hmm. And so they actually had to hire Lindelof to do a complete rewrite for it to basically go through the Writers Guild. The original script right. you can find online, and it is fascinating, I think would have been a better movie. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I need to look at that now. Yeah. Okay, so there you so, go. That was a yeah. long-winded explanation, right. sorry. So it's not not a one-to-one comparison, but I would like to hire Vangelis to do that to the soundtrack. Who? Oh, Vangelis? Yeah. yeah. They did, like, Chariots of Fire. He did the Blade Runner soundtrack. He did, like, mm. a lot of those 80s, like, synthy sci-fi kind of, like... Oh, instead of, like, a traditional Yeah, orchestral. like, bringing in a little bit more of that. Because I think, like... I don't know. I think one of the things I pick up from you guys a little bit is that it is like it comes off as a more serious movie, even with these like archetypes and like not smart characters. And like, Mm -hmm. so to me, like part of that, it felt like in the in the design of the film, they really leaned into the pulpy aspects of it. Like I remember you were talking about At the Mountains of Madness, which came out in this, it was this pulp magazine series called uh, Astounding Stories. Or Weird Tales or something? Yeah. Well, it was Astounding Stories and I know this because I was looking it up and it's like, you know, just some pulp magazine, like old sci-fi and a lot of trash in it, but they had like Lovecraft wrote for it, uh, Isaac Asimov wrote for it, Arthur C. Clarke, like a bunch of big names Mm -hmm. wrote for this and there was one and I could not find it before this, but like it was on the cover, like somebody wearing a space suit that looked almost exactly like the ones from Prometheus, like down to the color scheme. Wow. And I could not find it, but like the film is very, and there's a lot of like visual reference to other films. Like the opening is literally the opening shot from 2001. There's the head in the glass box exploding is remarkably similar to the films. Oh, no, <laughs> it's called Contamination. It was, you know, Star Crash, the one the mm-hmm. Mystery Science Theater did? Like, the very next year after that came out, like, that, the director of that saw Alien and decided he wanted to do his own crashy <laughs> version of it. And Oh, in I have film, seen that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, like, it's, they inject, like, they have their sample and they know. end up, they inject a mouse, but it's that exact same, like, here's glass box and people standing around at science and then... Which, like, I would almost write off as, like, okay, it's a glass head in a box, except when David turns on the holograms, there's another exact same shot from that film to the point, like, the holograms hmm. are hmm. blue, hmm. Yeah. but they look down the tunnel, and there's this yellow light coming from around a corner hmm. approaching, which is, again, taken exactly from hmm. contamination. Even changing the hologram light to yellow for that single shot 
makes me think that was absolutely huh. intentional. That'd be interesting. Why in yeah. God's name? Because it was a ripoff of Alien, and now Ridley Scott's like, because to <sighs> me, like that opening setting Ryan up with Johnson 2001. Ryan Johnson did the same thing in Last Jedi, <laughs> where he references like a Star Wars parody film inside yeah. a Star Wars movie. Right. Well, it's to the, me, it's, it's like... The world we live in. So yeah. this is like... Everything's so a reference. Film, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Well, and to me, that sets up this film as being like, this is very much about sci-fi. It's like that basic Promethean story. Um, so I would like to see the soundtrack lean into that. Like, that's that's the one spot where I'm like... And I mean, even... Yeah, I guess you can get away with smarter characters. Like, to me, that was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, if it makes you happy... I'm on your side, too, that didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Because it's, again, like... I, it's because I had that sense of, like, that pulpy, like, sci-fi... Like, even the black goo is not... Like, nobody outright states, like, oh, this is what the black goo does up until... Idris Elba starts making shit up about it. Oh, it's a weapon because <laughs> he's scared. Like he wants yeah. to go home. This would all be better if it was pulpier and trashier. Yeah, I wish this movie was trashier all the way through. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get trash out of it, and I and I wish I. I wish it had more trash. In it. I agree. I think that yeah, if they'd have pushed a it more that more direction, synth, my brain yeah. just, would have yeah accommodated for that. But yeah. the movie that was presented to me was not trash. Right. Yeah, and was not well, pulpy. And I feel was, like yeah, you could like if you just put a soundtrack like that on top of this movie, it would come off. A little weird you don't have to like some of the characters have yeah. to like lean into their archetype a little bit more um but i think you could definitely yeah i make mean like that version of the movie if i were going to make changes and i wouldn't necessarily but like yeah like getting adding more of that pulp like making it i guess a little more overt than it is yeah. at this mm -hmm. point because yep. it's such a good part of the movie one quick note about the soundtrack i did look up it was really interesting was that they the way yeah. he wanted the soundtrack to sound creepy and so he like wrote like wrote out the score composed it and then had the orchestra play it backwards and mm. then reversed oh, it cool. in playback oh, so cool, you're cool. hearing the reverse take yeah, of yeah. the reverse performed orchestra from the original composition that's cool and he was like it'll just make it a little bit yeah. a little bit different <laughs> yeah all right that's why i want vangelis to work with him there you go like just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. take this keyboard and make it backwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh sam cool. sam no sam, sam just texted sam. me oh that's why <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Sam is merely the symbol. <laughs> the reality is Matt. The yeah. meat bag. The meat bag is meat Matt. Bag Matt. Yep. Um, meat bag Matt. Oh, that's the, not going to be a nickname that starts. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have very few fixes because, yeah, I just kind of enjoyed this movie on its own. So m talking to you guys, though, I did find a few things there. I was like, yeah, no, without those, both of the opening scenes, I would like this movie more if we just – were kind of uh, like had the point of view of this crew of what's happening, why are we mm. here? You've basically like kidnapped us for two years and didn't tell us what's going on. <laughs> like I'm getting paid, right? Am I getting yeah. paid? <laughs> yeah. If this was the opening shots of this movie, what were David like tidying up, playing some basketball, going around, yeah. doing all this stuff, and like we just see one guy on a spaceship living his life kind of like moon a little mm -hmm. bit like yeah. mm -hmm. we just see this guy living his life on a space station we don't know where we are we don't know why we're there we don't know who this is if he's a human if he's a robot whatever until he starts waking people up and things start starting to re revealed then we're like okay there are 20 other people here he may not be one of them or whatever i think that's a more effective opening for a movie i already like but I think after those first two scenes, even watching the movie, I didn't understand why that first scene was really there. And the second scene, 
like you guys said earlier, they explain all of that in the presentation that they give to the people who were sleeping for two years without knowing what's going on. And you can show a PowerPoint presentation of what the cave looked like. You do the same thing as you do in showing the fact that they were in Scotland four years ago. You don't need it. So, yeah, I think that's... Uh, and don't cast Guy Pierce. Cast <laughs> an actual old man, please. Yes, please. Uh, that's it. Okay, cool. Uh, at this point, we need to rate this thing. And, uh, well, I rate all of these films on a category scale, which I'm probably going to reinvent here as we're coming up Ooh. with the year anniversary. Oh, we because reinvent? Oh. Yeah. You said we mm. couldn't when we first started. I don't well, know I'm kind of happy we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Mine is frustrating because it doesn't have any room for enjoyment. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and th- and uh-huh. that and a couple of films have come up that it's like this is a terrible film, but I really enjoyed it. Mm. So how do I rate that right, in a right, category right. scale? Yeah. So right now mine is category one, eh, not too bad, kind of a light rain, maybe even very pleasant. And then the category five could kill you. Uh, this is I'm gonna say this is a two, mainly because the craft of this film, like the, the just watching the film is so impressive. Um, I wish it was in. I, I wish that the plot and story worked within the confines of that visual language, mm-hmm. as I don't think it does. Um, and it and it makes me angry <laughs> because it doesn't, because I want things out of it that it doesn't seem interested in doing. Uh, but it's a, it's a two. So, yeah. Matt? Uh, my enjoyment scale is called the Possessed Mushroom Puppet Scale. This makes perfect sense. I don't know why you have a problem with it. It makes sense, <laughs> but ha- like... The possessed mushroom puppet part of it is not something that makes sense. I've only explained it on like two podcasts ever. Not going to do it again on this one. So it's out of five possessed mushroom puppets, how much did I enjoy this movie? And I give it a solid four because uh, I don't know if I've given anything a five on this podcast Mm. because... I don't know. Like, I feel it, like you have, but I don't. Maybe, maybe Super Mario Brothers because I just love that movie so much. <laughs> but like, this is a better movie than Super Mario Brothers by far. Um, I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> but so this gets a four just because I I really enjoyed it. But there are a few things, especially talking with you guys, where I'm like, oh yeah, no. If it fixed those things and then was the same movie I saw, five out of five. Mm-hmm. So sure, gets a four. Tuna. My scale is what food it reminds me of. <laughs> this one is an unlabeled Kinder Egg because I feel like it's a nice, chocolatey, beautiful little shell wrapped around this like plastic toy. Um, and if you're not expecting it, I feel like it's harder to get into the plastic toy rather than being like, why is there not more chocolate here? <laughs> but I am loving this little toy. Like, fuck the chocolate, dude. I'm loving this toy. So, what's egg. a Kinder Egg? Oh, oh you've never seen those? You They're like travel, Nick. Yeah, yeah I don't travel. It's, like, it's a German. Yeah, it's well, a I can understand candy. why. No, can, if yeah, there's so. a toy yeah, in the they're, food, well, they're usually they're labeled. Okay, well, but yeah, yeah, it's like a just a chocolate candy shell. And then inside is a little toy, so that you give a kid, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. I have a, and it's usually very I have a small pieces and then that were easily toy. consumed." <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, all right. That that's so, a good that metaphor. That's good, though. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Tobin. So I have the Torgo scale, one to five Torgos, uh, based oh, yeah. on how much there is in the movie to recommend, and I give Ooh. this 
one Torgo. Really? Ooh. I give. Uh, I I would have rated it higher every other. T- I'm done watching this movie. I've watched <laughs> it three times all the way through, and a number of times, um, pieces of it, as I said, and I am done. I, I'm. It's there's nothing in the movie for me except the way it looks, and I think that even that is at war with these more these interesting ideas that sometimes are happening in the movie. But I can't do it anymore. I can't do it to myself anymore. <laughs> so I'm I'm not going to watch this movie anymore. I would recommend though the making of. There's this feature length making of on the DVD that is is really worth seeing because you see the whole process and I think you can see kind of where it falls apart um, but uh, yeah one one Torgo okay uh, Tobin since we're already talking to you let's talk about Real Good the part where we recommend a movie to try to get the taste of this movie out of your mouth or if you like this movie what else is out there I, I, w- I was going to you're well, I'm not going to say what I was going to suggest because I think someone else is going to do it. Aren't you? What's that? You're going to no. recommend Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Dune is the one that I gave five Torgos because I think it's uh, uh, only amazing to me. Um, uh, so um, I'm going to suggest that P- another movie that involves someone looking for a potentially lost civilization and finding it, but not in ways that they expected. And I may have even recommended this on a previous podcast here, The Lost City of Zed, the James Gray movie from two years ago mm. with Charlie Hunnam. Anybody see this movie? Mm-hmm. It is so, so, so good. You should you should seek this movie out. The Last City of Zed, it's spelled with a Z, um, tells the story of a 19th century, um, I think, uh, explorer, Percy Fawcett, true story, who goes to the Amazon um, and sort of uh, m- multiple times in his life. And it's a beautifully made movie that's not what you expect at almost every turn and yet does follow a lot of the similar sort of tropes of people going into um, hostile environments and um, having their sort of worldview changed. And it's, it's a beautiful movie. So Lost City of Zed from 2016 by James Gray. Excellent. Tuna, what do you got? Um, all right. Well, I mean, I was just going to say, like, I'll watch Prometheus again. But, like, I also considered but, that. And now I'm like, I'm having this moment of, like, oh, well, maybe I should recommend that uh, documentary you were talking about because that sounds pretty great. Uh, but anything, no. that, anything that's out there in the world related to Prometheus, watch right. that. But no, I think, I think in all seriousness, the, my recommendation is Sunshine. Because, like, as much as Good I call. like Prometheus, yeah. like, yep. A lot of the things I liked about Prometheus, I think, are done better in Sunshine. I can uh, see that. That's a brilliant oh. movie. Yeah. 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 Also, pos- also an extraordinarily beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. One I only watched the first time like a couple years ago. Really? And I was like blown away that I, like, it had taken me that long to mm. see it. Oh, man. Nick made me watch that in class once. And I was like, this is great. I like this Nick guy. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, look how look how the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker <laughs> doesn't know anything about philosophy. <laughs> what a jackass! He was a film teacher, not a philosophy teacher. Uh, oh, my real good is as usual a bad movie because um, <laughs> it's usually just something I enjoy watching, but I know no one else does. But just parts of this reminded me of it because we're talking about an android who has some human-like qualities, and I'm going to flash back to a movie that I loved as a child, and I tell you this because I have not watched it in probably 15, 20 years, so it's probably even worse than I remember. But if you want to check it out, watch Bicentennial Man. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Because wow. there's a lot of like existentialism like conversations <laughs> okay. that he has in that movie where it's just like, whoa, this is too deep for this movie. This, huh. is and that- it kind of gave me the same vibe of like, if the if those philosophy conversations for uh for this movie are too deep, 
to have those in Bicentennial Man was way too deep because that's like a lighthearted family movie and then you have him sitting there talking about death and it's no bueno. <laughs> like, Is that the Robin Williams? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus. Yeah. 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 I loved that movie as a child pretty much because I liked anything Robin Williams did. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you haven't seen that, <laughs> don't blame me if you don't like it. <laughs> don't blame me for recommending it. Yeah, yeah. Right. I say Nick's go watch adding it. it to the list right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that would be fair. <laughs> um, my real good is more about the experience of uh, watching this film and then having this conversation about philosophy and what it means and does the film mean something more to me than it does maybe on the surface? Because this is a film when I first saw, I was very frustrated by. And actually was very angry at and then I couldn't stop thinking about it and then I watched it again and again and again and really fell in love with it as a film that I feel intentionally or not represents my experience of dreams and nightmares Uh, how people work in them how stories work in them and everything and this is a film by David Lynch and it's called Lost Highway And it is the most potent feeling I've ever gotten in watching a movie. I'm saying this when when any other movie tries to be tries to do dreams, Mm. they do terrible jobs. But for some reason, Lost Highway to me feels like it is a they've captured a dream and a nightmare Um, so much so that like, you know, the protagonist changes even though it's kind of the same guy, it's not the same guy anymore, but the actor has changed and then he changes back. And it's like, it is a, it is an extraordinarily potent, weird, scary, funny movie. I think is Richard Pryor's last performance Mm -hmm. is in that movie. But that film is one to me that like on the surface, if you watch it, you probably come away feeling similar to how I felt about Prometheus, which is this did not do what a film is supposed to do. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. Some things are very effective, but then it just sort of burrowed into my head and I could never get rid of it. And so, yeah, it's Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette in David Lynch's Lost Highway. Hard to find, actually. Um, But if you can, check it out. It's also Peter Deming's best work as a cinematographer. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you guys for having this riveting conversation. Um, I feel more philosophical now. Uh, Tobin, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington and on the podcast The Contenders that I do with my sister about movies uh, directed by and starring trailblazing women. And you can find us on Twitter at Contenders underscore pod. Excellent. Tuna, where can people find you? Uh, I mean, on Twitter, I'm at Tuna Loons. And Which is a great handle. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got, got a couple of projects in the works that I will want to plug sometime okay. when I have them finished <laughs> so I won't now it's a but, like, yeah. but I work with a band called Soviet Fourth Grader and you can find them at sovietfourthgrader.com there's Indeed. only an EP out but soon yeah free <laughs> plug yeah free plug um, also you work on SciShow oh yeah that too <laughs> that is a neat promotion <laughs> which is funny because I'm working on an episode that goes up the day this episode goes up about how expectations very much color your experience of alcohol in particular oh wow but it's like you know like the old like oh tequila makes you feel this way and like rum makes you feel Uh this way is like pretty much like there's it's all (laughs) ethanol it's all ethanol the real is the same but the symbolism of them is different i would say it's ethanol and different amounts of sugar yeah 
Would yeah, be, like, but I mean, like, check out no, SciShow Psych. Check, check yeah. out yeah. SciShow Psych and learn more about that. <laughs> Heck yeah. Okay. Matt, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew Gatos, and you can find my new podcast, I Love It, anywhere podcasts exist. Um, and you can find it on Twitter at I Love It Podcast. Sweet. Thanks for listening to this episode of Real Bad. If you want to follow us, know what films we're going to be talking about, and get the occasional picture or video, follow us on at RealBadPod on Twitter. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Next week, I am determined to get back to a lower budget. So until then, this has been Real Bad. <laughs>